Sometimes it can feel like food has an emotional control over you. Well, it's time to show your food who's boss with Noom. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, listeners, before we get started with today's episode of Bench with Bubba, special promotion for you. If you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports and live for the short-term gratification of DFS, then you have to try out weekly fantasy sports on OwnerBox. Head on over to rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly fantasy sports is the best of daily and season-long. It keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games. Owner's Box will be paying out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through the first-ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. But that's not it. Owner's Box will be matching your first-time deposit of up to $100. Just head on over to www.rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your $100 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. Back everybody to another episode of Bub and the Batflip, episode sixty-three. We continue our trip through the just depth and deep and just dungeness and also cool. I'm trying to think of the cool names and I can't do it, Toby. You got it all of the outfield position. There's so many guys to talk about. We're going to talk about another twenty-five to thirty or so tonight. Plus all your awesome listener questions. You guys came through again in a huge way. You can find me on Twitter at bdentric, and you can find my co-host as always on Twitter at Batflip Crazy. How we doing, Toby? Uh, we're doing great. Um, you know, this last week was a big week. I, my family, my um, wife's birthday was Thursday. My four, my now four-year-old, Ooh. his birthday was on Saturday. So we had two birthdays. And the best thing about birthdays is ice cream cakes. I don't know if yes. other people have done this, but Baskin-Robbins ice cream cakes. Every birthday growing up, we'd have a Baskin-Robbins ice cream cake. This is not a paid advertising. Maybe, it's, Robert, maybe it's a workout thing, like a Davis Woodland. For thing. sure. <laughs> I, it could have. I mean, um, and uh, I actually worked at Baskin Robbins for three years in high school. A lot of my friends in high school did too. So I think yeah. there's a connection here. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and uh, so we used to get them all the time, every single time. And they're just phenomenally good. I, it's not even the cake, to, honestly. It's just the ice cream. And we got this cake for my, for my, um, for my son's birthday and it's a clown cone cake. So it's like a cake and then it has clown cones on top of it, which was a hit of course. But what I didn't realize is that there was no cake. What? It was all ice cream. So it was all did. ice cream with the frosting on it and stuff like that. So it's like, you don't even have to bother eating the actual cake. 
That's a new and twist. So, yeah, my 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 oldest right now is still awake and he's actually talking about it in the background. I don't know if that's you awesome. That. No, that's funny. Uh, that's what it's all uh, about. So good. <laughs> yeah. Reese's Reese's peanut butter. Oh my favorite. Ice cream. Oh, Your kid's got good flavor. I'll tell you that much. God. <laughs> I need some for lunch today. Don't tell, don't tell oh, him. I said I was, that low so he wouldn't hear. If I was you, I'd have some for lunch tomorrow too, oh, dude. There's so much left. I mean, the one—I hate to say there's any redeeming quality of the pandemic, but your birthday parties are a lot smaller, so there's a yes. lot more ice cream cake leftovers uh, to go around. But um, yeah, it's it's been a it's been a fun week, and then we have Christmas coming on. So uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's great. You mentioned ice cream cakes for birthdays. Um, my now wife in college, when I met her, um, I met her after my birthday, but we had an inter- intramural softball team that made it to the championships. And so we were celebrating at the fraternity house afterwards, and she made Funfetti ice cream cake for us. Wow. Like two, two Funfetti cakes with a layer of ice cream in the middle. It was... Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. It was beautiful. It was absolutely amazing. There's a reason I married her. There's, there was one of many, but that's for one sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, but, on the East Coast, they have Carvel cakes. Yes, yes. You know, the Carvel cakes. You can yeah. order them, and I have them shipped out here. Really? I've seen it online. Oh, yeah, you get them shipped out. do that? Yes. I, I know. I, that, see, I told Toby the same thing, Smada, when we signed in. Oh, and yeah. They, yeah. The Thank hat. you, Smada. So I actually remember Smada because I – um, Smata says Toby that hat is fire for those of you who are listening. And we will the get the, the fantasy baseball eventually. We're having too much fun here right now. So yeah, deal with it. <laughs> the, the, the hat that I'm wearing right now is kind of that maroon old Phillies with like the curly P on it. I don't know if that's a good description of it, but when I, when I was looking to buy it, I had a couple options that I was looking at and I tweeted them out to see what people thought. And I went with this one and I remember specifically Smata being like, there's like three hats in all of baseball that I want, and that's one of them. So it's appreciate you, Smata. It's a sweet lid. But um, yeah, no, we could sit and talk about all kinds of ice cream cakes, Christmas coming up. There's, there's, we could really not talk about fancy sugar baseball. cookies. Should, sugar oh. cookies today. Okay. Yeah, I was it, like, should I have dinner or should I eat sugar cookie dough? You know sugar what? Cookie dough, probably. A friend of mine over here, he's an actually very good baker. I did not know that. He makes snickerdoodles, and when they're fresh and soft, oh my oh, goodness. Man. Oh my. Yeah. Goodness. But. I mean, we're we're gonna get to fantasy baseball in a second, but I actually have a, I have a cookie recipe. It's a peppermint bark cookie recipe. Oh, I, I shared it on Twitter. It actually, yeah, I tweeted it out. Yeah, they're absolutely delicious. I, I did mean, not know people put bark in their cookies, and you did. And my goodness, oh, do I put bark in my cookies? <laughs> Holy cow! I do. Oh, For those of you who are wondering, I put peppermint bark in my cookies. For sure. That's outstanding. And he found out how much you can and can't put, and he, he won. So that's all yes. that's all that matters. He won. You can put as much as you want. I literally had three like bars, you know, like Hershey style bars. And then I had an extra large bag of of peppermint bark. And I put it in one batch of cookies. That's it was so good. Oh that's my awesome. God. Man, I, oh, that's man. what we should do. We should all we should. This should be a, a dessert episode focused on the outfield. And each outfielder we go, we talk about should be some type of dessert. We'll get through 10 outfielders, maybe. <laughs> we'll barely get through the outfield. Yeah. Um, that'll be fun. But maybe we'll do a, a fantasy, our top 10 desserts slash fantasy targets this year or something. We, we, we can have a lot of fun with it. There's no doubt about sure. it. But uh Let's get into the outfield. Uh, I appreciate everyone that stuck around this long because you knew it was coming, but that was fun. I, I enjoy that kind of the riffing like that. Yeah, and, anytime uh, anybody wants to talk desserts, you hit me yeah. up, all right? 
Yes, Toby is a dessert I, uh, connoisseur. My wife is one as well, so I can kind of live vicariously through the two of you. And uh, as obviously, if people watch the video, they can see I enjoy them. So <laughs> we're, we're good there, too. Um, all right. We left off. We went through the top 25 last week. So we're, we're to keep it kind of uniform, I still stuck with the November 14th date. Uh, but we continued on to the 21st today. And I did this list yesterday. So things changed. Forgive me, people. They'll be close enough. But 26 through 30, we have Jeff McNeil, Charlie Blackman, Dylan Moore, Kyle Lewis, Byron Buxton. So we're getting, just for reference sakes for people, 26 and beyond in the outfield. We're getting right around pick 100 and later. So the rest of this stuff's going to be, you know, we're talking post round uh, nine or so, eight, nine and beyond where you can start filling in positions and needs. So with those five guys, McNeil, Blackman, Moore, Lewis, Buxton, what stands out to you there? Yeah, um, I mean, McNeil, we've talked about him in the second base and the third base episode, so I won't spend too much time. But I just think, you know, I, I think we talked about it in an earlier podcast. But, you know, if you are really interested in in a um, a light version of like a, J, uh, a DJ LeMahieu, I was going to say JT, but I'll move it down. God, what's wrong with me? Um, of a DJ LeMahieu is, um, uh, is like McNeil, right? I mean, the guy has hit over 300, is his three seasons in baseball, his career average is over 300. He makes a ton of contact, um, just really good uh, hand-eye coordination, bat to ball. So you're going to get that batting average. I think the question mark is where he hits in the lineup, but I think he's good enough where, you know, he can really return value from anywhere, right? Because as long as he gets 550, 600 plate appearances at that 300 plus batting average in the Mets lineup, I think he'll be successful regardless of what happens. So I really like him a lot and he provides a similar flexibility as, um, as DJ LeMahieu would. So again, I'd much prefer the value of McNeil to the value of DJ LeMahieu, um, right now. Um, you know, this is kind of a group of guys, I think where, uh, I, I don't find myself drafting any of them like Blackman. I mean, I think there's, you know, he's going to hit for probably 300. I mean, you know, he had a little bit of decline with the batted ball quality. The steals aren't necessarily there, but doesn't mean he's going to steal zero bases for you, right? I think he's going to give you a strong batting average, you know, 20, 25 home runs, you know, maybe six stolen bases this year, something like that. Um, so it's not going to be a ton, but, you know, he, that lineup remains good. They haven't traded away the pieces yet. So at the moment of this recording, he should still still score a bunch of runs at the top of that lineup. So I actually think that that's a pretty solid move right there. I, although I haven't, I haven't, I've had four drafts so far and I haven't really dipped in. There, we talked about Dylan Moore in the second base episode. I think there's a lot to like there. A little bit of volatility in the profile just with the with the strikeout rate, although we did mention that, you know, I think his strikeout rate this year was a little bit higher than it should be if you look at the underlying metrics. I do have a little bit of concern because I don't he's older, so I don't necessarily think he's a part of the future necessarily of the Mariners. So I do worry a little bit about like what what the long term over the course of a season outlook is for him, but he's produced when he's played and he's been, he, they don't have a ton of really good hitters yet, but you know, you just think about maybe the opportunities are going to be a little bit lean. They want to give shed long a look at second base and the outfield, they have Kyle Lewis. What happens later in the season when they, they bring in clinic, when they bring in Julio Rodriguez, potentially, you know, just so those types of questions about, you know, is he, is he a guy who gets traded or, or something like that? So a little bit of concern there for me, but again, you know, we've, we said before, looks like a 2020 guy potentially, and he's going later in drafts. Um, with Lewis, you know, there's, 
again, we saw some improvement last year, uh, improvement in the plate discipline, improvement in the contact rate. You know, um, the stack cast metrics are still pretty solid, although the hard, hard hit rate is not um, fantastic. Um, and then, um, and then Buxton, you know, I mean, health is always the issue. And I think the concern with Buxton is we saw last year and with the twins approach generally, which could always change, but you know, he wasn't stealing as much, you know? And so it's much more a power profile and is the power profile all that interesting, you know, with the batting average that you're probably going to get and the injury history that you're looking at. So for me, I'm not, I'm not super interested in, in him either going where he's going so that's kind of a little bit of, 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 of the review, but certainly one of these years, Buxton is going to have the year, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you yeah, know, we'll see. Yeah, no. And we, yeah, we talked about McNeil and more and more is interesting. Like you mentioned, and I just think the, the deal with those two, if we're drafting them, we're drafting them for second base more so than outfield, given the position flexibility is awesome. Like, well, there will be weeks where you'll use them in the outfield. I think ideally you want them at second base. So that's something to think about when, you're, you're approaching a section of the draft. Um, Blackman is a guy that I just can't, I can't stomach. Um, I agree. The average should be good. The, the homer should be decent and you're not paying a premium for him. Like you have in years past, he's still going to be in Coors field in, in a, what should be, like you said, a good order, but yeah, you looked last year, uh, fly ball rate dropped quite a bit. The, the quality of contact, like you mentioned, the hard hit rates, the barrels, all that dropped tremendously makes you kind of wonder, was he hurt? What's going on there? He did have COVID. So maybe there's some, some things there with, with Blackman. So he could come back as a value, a guy like you said, I haven't uh, jumped on either. And then you got Lewis and Buxton, kind of two interesting guys to have close to each other. Uh, Lewis, like you said, hits the ball really hard. I think he's a good – like the way we talked about like a Teoscar Hernandez, the upside of a Kyle Lewis could be very intriguing. Um, but there's a lot of volatility there. Because even like you mentioned with Moore, when – uh, Rodriguez and Kalenic come up. If Lewis struggles, that he, he could lose his job to them too, and that's just one of those deals. I doubt it. You know, rookie of the year type stuff. You, you usually don't see that happen, but it it, it can. And so, like, ask Chris Coglin about that. So it, it's a uh, it is possible. So it, just keep that in mind. I think it, there's a lot of upside with Kyle Lewis. Just not a guy. This range isn't one I really want to target. I do like Buxton, but I've always been a sucker for Buxton. So I'm going to put that out there out the gate. I love his upside. The power of this last year, and not the steals, is interesting. But I've heard some guys talk about it lately, like Mason and some others, that maybe on a shortened season, guys they know get hurt a lot. They're not going to run and risk losing them for a big chunk of the season. Um, so that that could be something very uh, interesting. But I, I do like, I, yeah, I like Bucks. Like like you're saying, Smata, his uh, his upside of like 30 and 15 or even 25 and 15, I think is tremendous. He's going to be in that order. They were leading him off towards the end of the year because he's actually hitting for a decent average. If he can keep doing that at the top of the order – with the big bats behind him, that's huge. And so uh, Buxton's still a guy that I have circled as, as a big-time upside guy where the floor, barring staying healthy, which is a big concern with Byron Buxton, is a pretty good floor. And I think in points leagues, he has a lot of upside because he could fill the stats all over the place. So keep that in mind if you're in a points draft, which we usually don't talk about, but something to consider. Yeah, I mean, one thing on Buxton, which, um, you know, one thing that's a little – alarming is an over 50% O swing this past year, obviously small sample size, but to the ballot ball quality piece and, and Smata's Smata and you are right on that. I mean, it is interesting. I mean, the average exit velocity continues to rise. I mean, this past year, again, small sample size, but 91.2 mile per hour. That's great. Bar- highest barrel rate and hard hit rate of his career, you know, and, and the, the contact stuff is not, 
It's not terrible. It's just like if you could just swing at good pitches, you know, I think we'd be in in a lot better shape. But I can definitely see that the upside. And and again, like you can swing and miss on that pick around this part of the draft where he's going and and still still survive. I mean, you can anywhere, but here it's not as you know, scary. And maybe because of the depth of outfield, you can take some later outfielders that give you a little bit more of that cushion or, or feel a little bit better. So yeah, you guys have maybe convinced me to draft him at some point this draft season. I just think there's a good floor and it's like, he only hit 254, his XBA was 249. So it's not like he was, you know, shooting over the moon. The O swing, yes, is concerning, but I think part of me tells myself I might appreciate that because it means he's not being stingy. He's actually going out there and doing something like it, it's not pretty, it, you know, his chase rate jumped to, to 49%, close to 50%. Like you're saying, uh, you're looking at Savant's page, but his chase contact rose to 55%. So he was at least taking advantage. And I think a big thing, and, and we've seen this looking at different guys, his first pitch swing, usually he's a 30 to 35% guy jumped up to 51% this year, hmm. much more aggressive on pitches. And, and we know it's common sense type stuff. A lot of pitchers, not all, but a lot will just groove it in trying to get a strike. And so Buxton was taking advantage of that, we think. I haven't watched the film, but just looking at his page here would be something to be uh, intriguing about. But to me, the, the talent's never been a question with Byron Buxton. It's always been, can you stay on the field? And that, that's Projections just, love him, too. Yeah, so he's a guy that I, I keep finding myself just kind of getting drugged back into. And I think a lot of it, like you mentioned as well, is the depth of the outfield. Knowing mm-hmm. the way I, we're going to talk about some guys, a guy that wears the same hat you're wearing right now that we both love – like I have no problem taking him as like a Buxton replacement type thing or along those lines. So we, we can talk about, oh, or the next guy, 31 through 35 is led off by Tommy Pham. There's another guy that I like quite a bit. Who I think it's going too late. They got Eddie Rosario, your boy, Alex Verdugo, Will Myers, and Tommy Edmonds. So this is a group I know you like some names. Wow. Right? And I don't mind somebody. This is like the Toby group right here. So uh, why, don't you, why don't you have some fun with these five? Yeah. Well, I mean, Pham, I mean, the issue with Pham is health, obviously. Um so, but, you know, and, and, and the thing about fam is there's, there's been a narrative, I think throughout his career that he's always injured and it, I feel like he's always playing injured, but he's not necessarily injured, injured. I mean, so he came up in 2017 was the first big year he came up and he missed the early part of the season. But then after that, he had 530 plate appearances. Then in 2018, he had 570 plate appearances. And then in 2019, he had 654. So over the course of those three years prior to last season, he pretty much averaged about 600 plate appearances a year, which is, you know, um, uh, what, you know, what you, what you want, right? You can't really project a guy for much more than that. Um, And so, you know, and and the speed is going to be there. The on base is there. He's just such a hot, solid hitter. Um, overall that I definitely like him a lot. Although, you know, he is 31, I think, if not older. Is he 30, 31? He's in his early He's 32. Yeah. He's 32. So he's 32. So, you know, just something to consider. Um, but, you know, I haven't really grabbed him that much in drafts so far this year, but I think it's more just a, a liking other other players at that point in time. Um so, so fam, but you know, he's, he's solid. And I think the profile is solid. Eddie Rosario, same thing, obviously, you know, he's falling in ADP right now, I think because he doesn't have a home yet. Yeah. Uh, I expect that he'll get one. And I expect that when he gets a home that he'll be hitting in the middle of, of whatever lineup that is, you know, if we can use a broad interpretation of middle, say three through 
six, you know, something like that, depending on the quality. Um, And he's just, I mean, the skills are just really, really good. You know, I mean, he makes a ton of contact. He hits for power. He chases a ton, which is his weakness, but it hasn't really impacted his ability to put up a high batting average along with um, a high home run total. And he's pretty quick. I mean, he he does, he's not, I don't think he's a pretty good good base dealer, but he steals some bases. And I think moving away from the twins, that could be a situation where those stolen base totals go up a little bit. So again, I've taken advantage one time, I think of the lower ADP, I got him around like 125 or so. I think he's falling even further from that right now, but I think he'll end up in a, in a solid situation. I think he's too good of a hitter for that. Only concern might be like a platoon or something like that in a, in a situation where he gets platooned. Um, Verdugo, I mean, I like the, the profile has been good. I mean, he was, he was really good last year. Um, this is another one where, you know, my, 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 my kind of initial beliefs on a player need to be kind of weighed because, you know, what I saw on him was like a batting average guy, not a ton of power, um, you know, and, and not many stolen bases, but the stolen bases are, are okay. You know, I don't think he's going to hit for a ton of power, but the batting average is going to be solid. It's, it always has been um, high ground ball rate. So yeah, I mean, I think, I think he's, he's fine. You know, if you're looking for maybe a batting average guy and he, he should hit at top of the lot, that lineup. Um, so that, that could be a, a thing. Um, Will Myers, you know, I love Will Myers. Uh, I also feel like you got to value each guy each year, right? And last year, I think I felt like there was an opportunity with Myers and it worked out for me. I was, I was fortunate um, around that. I have not been drafting him um, a ton just because I guess the one part of the profile from last year that I don't necessarily believe in is the batting average. Um, and the stolen bases were not necessarily there for him. He is 30. Um, so he, from a batted ball perspective, you know, he was absolutely mashing last year, but I'm not sure that we can count on the same level of stolen bases. Like steamer has him here, you know, projected for 27 home runs and 13 stolen bases with a 239 batting average. I think the 239 batting average is a little bit low. I think that stolen boat base total is maybe a little bit high for Myers. Um, right now. So I'm in, but I'm not because I do worry about, you know, that there is a floor there for that, um, for that batting average that we've seen before. And there's also the health issues. He's had a really hard time staying healthy when he's not playing first base. Um, so again, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a bad pick where he's going, but I'm not necessarily going after him. And we've talked about Edmund and I think what you made, what you mentioned before, like if you're drafting Edmund, you're going to draft him as a second baseman or a third baseman. I've done that a couple times already. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say. I would say, and and I think he's solid. He's he's I, I like him a lot this year, um, but more for second base and third base than I do for for outfield. So yeah. that's kind of the group. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with the Edmund thing. Like he's good. There's no problem there, but not not my outfield targets. That's for sure. Um, Tommy Pham, I'm, I'm a Tommy Pham guy again. And one thing I really like about Pham did he was hurt a lot last year. So I think it was like his wrist or his finger or something in his hand, hand area. And once he got healthy, we saw it like the last week of the season and in the postseason, he actually hit the ball very, very well. So that's something to keep in mind. Because you look at his overall numbers, like it really stands out. His ISO 101, definitely the lowest of his career. Babbitt was only 253, so the average is 211, but still 12% walk rate. Strikeout rate rose a little bit. Still ran a lot for all things considered. In 31 games, had six steals. 
that rates out pretty decently. Before last season, 21-25, 21-15, 23-25. Three straight years of just awesome production with a 273 average or higher. Like the talent's very good. Yes, getting older is a bit of a concern, but even Steamer 22-15, and 15, uh, when you dig deeper on Tommy Pham, the things that I really like is you look at the ISO and the BABIP and you get kind of concerned, but the barrel rate's almost identical to 2019, still lower than you'd like them to be, but pretty close to 2019. Hard hit rate was actually the highest of his career, which is great. He did hit 211. His XBA was 266. His Wobo was 282. His, his XWOBO was 348. So this is one of those guys that has a massive difference in expected stats and regular season stats, which tells you something wasn't right. And one thing that stands out in a big, big way, his ground ball rate went up from 53% to 62% while his fly ball rate dropped. So he was hitting the ball hard. He's hitting on the ground, thus probably not the best Babbitt scenario going on there. So um, I, I have no problem with the fam. Yes, the health's an issue. Yes, the stabbings, as Samada mentioned. He might be a strip club owner due to that, but um, something to keep in mind with fam. I, I still like him quite a bit as a maybe not a big ceiling guy, but a really strong floor with like 20-20 upside. Uh, so I don't mind fam. Rosario, you you hit on him. I want to see where he goes. That's just the biggest thing for me. That's, that's a big question. Uh, Verdugo's tough. Like He doesn't really set the world on fire for me, but I see the upside that people are talking about. I'll probably, have, I'll probably be a year out on him. I'll be one of those guys where I just kind of have to see it to believe it, uh, at least in this range, because there's guys coming up after him. I'd rather take a chance on like Dylan Carlson or something than an Alex Verdugo. So I, I won't own much of him. And then Will Myers, I love the upside. It's a guy we always talked about with you know 2020 upside, but you are paying for his career season now, like you mentioned. And that kind of – you got to risk rewards there because this is a guy that we've, we've mentioned, like Buxton's health and other guys' health. Myers right up there in that health department conversation. He just he stayed healthy. He ran pure. He ran really pure. So the talent's there, you know, former rookie of the year type stuff. It's just a matter of can he stay healthy? You mentioned it. He's always healthier when he plays for space. That ain't happening with the Hosmer there. So can he uh, stick it out? And if he struggles, we always have a depth of outfit is there to platoon with. So that's another thing with Myers. So it's just one of those the talent's good. I just don't think I can stomach him at that point. All right, 36 to 40. You got Mike Yastrzemski, Dylan Carlson, Ramon Laureano, Victor Robles, and Ryan Mountcastle. These later outfielders, there's a lot of intriguing angles to go on these guys to, to justify taking a chance. So it's going to be fun the next 15 to 20 we talk about. Let's start with this five. Yeah, um, I think Yastrzemski is solid all around. Really good plate discipline, decent contact, batted ball quality. Everything's pretty good. Another guy I don't find myself really getting in drafts. I think maybe because, you know, he doesn't necessarily excel in batting average or stolen bases. Um, So that might be the reason um, there. Um, Dylan Carlson, I really like a lot, although it seems like a lot of people really like him. So it may be that my love for him, while true, um, does not result in having – in, in having a lot of him on my teams this year. One of the things that I thought was really interesting, I mean, you know, I, I actually, I should look this up, but I mean, it seemed like he did really well in the playoffs last year, but when you look at kind of the skill progression from the first time he came up to the second time he came up, everything that you want to see, you know, there, the plate discipline improved dramatically. The contact rate was up, you know, the ground ball rate was down, hard hit rate was up. Stack cast data was really nice. And so he just seems like somebody, I mean, I've been interested in him for a little bit just because, you know, he was always excelling throughout every stop at the minors and he was doing that as somebody who was young for his age. 
And so I just really like that. And then I think, you know, the stolen base power potential, you know, is there for, you know, 2015, something like that, 25, 15, maybe on the upside of it. Don't want to get too, you know, um, crazy with our projections. I think he's going to hit in the middle of that lineup, you know, and, and while that lineup may not be the best and that ballpark may not be the best, I think he'll be good enough. And I just see him as a guy who's very good in all of the key skill areas that I'm, I'm kind of looking at. Um, the one area where maybe a little bit of improvement is, is in the stat cast metrics, but I think the possibility is there for him. Um, and yeah. And he's, isn't he like a switch hitter or something like that? No, he's lefty. Only. No, he's just, no, yeah, no, oh, he does switch, switch it. No, he's he switch. Yeah. He's a like switch I hitter. Saw, so. I never saw him hit right handed for some reason. I know. I, I, I actually feel the exact same way, but, um, yeah, so I really like Dylan Carlson a lot. But again, I think a lot of other people are liking him. And so it's kind of like, you know. Um, and one guy who I do find myself getting a lot of is Ramon uh, Laureano. Um, you know, it's really interesting because, and I think this is why I don't have any shares of FAM, is because last year, FAM and Laureano were going around each other, you know, like kind of picks late 60s, early 70s in terms of the picks where they were going at. And now we have this half season, you know, or third, one third of a season. And all of a sudden Loriano is dropping way back, you know, and if you look under the hood though, I mean, it's really interesting. So he hit 213 on a 270 Babbitt, right. Which is well below his 335 career. If you look at his O swing, it was the best of his career. If you look at his contact rate, it was by far the best of his career. Hard hit rate suffered a little bit. Stack cast metrics suffered a little bit, but max exit below was the same. Barrel rate was the same, you know, so, um, and, and it seemed like he was just starting to mash, you know, um, when the season came to an end. And so again, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's, who I think is pretty much identical to the guy that we saw, um, you know, that we saw in 2019 that had us thinking he was a 70, 75th guy going around pick 75, and now we have this abbreviated season and nothing's really changed, right? I mean, if anything, the skills have improved, but the results weren't there. And I think this is the type of guy that you really got to jump on and you just got to say, hey, like nothing really changed. He's still young. You know, he's still doing the exact same things that made him successful. So why, why are we going to put a lot of stock in this, last, in this last year? He's projected for 23 home runs you know, and 11 stolen bases. But what weighs down his projection, I think in a lot of ways is the batting average, which they have at 249, you know, but he's career 270, you know, and that counts the 213 from last year. You know, I just think with the speed and with the batted ball quality that he has, that I think it's reasonable to believe that he can um, have an elevated BABIP. I mean, his line drive rate first two years was 25%. Uh, down to 22% this year, you know? So again, I think he's the exact same guy he was before and I I'm all, I'm all over him if he's available. Robles, we've talked about a little bit. I think we've gotten some questions about him. You know, I, I still like Robles. Um, you know, I worry because, you know, the batted ball concerns did come true and, you know, and, and part of that I think was off season and, you know, um, and not coming into camp in shape partially because of the COVID stuff, but, you know, he had gained some weight. He had lost speed, you know, when Jeff Zimmerman did his look at which players had gained and lost sprint speed, he was, he was among the guys who had lost the most sprint speed this past year. And, and it showed, but I think where he's going right now, it's, it's a really nice, 
risk reward, I think, you know, because it's kind of like, uh, the, the risk isn't that high at 150, right? Um, and cause we're not, I'm not really concerned that he's not going to steal bases anymore because that's kind of where, you know, that's kind of what he is. You know, the question is, is he going to develop that hit tool? So I think he's fine where he's going. I, I haven't managed to get him just because I've been a little bit more focused on like, if I need speed, you know, Laoti Tavares, um, he's going, you know, 20 to 40 picks uh, after him. And I think in a similar profile, but he's batting lead off. And so I think that that's, could be a huge difference in terms of the plate appearances that they get. And your one concern with Tavares is the batting average, but I think it's a, it's a similar concern that you have with Robles as well. Um, and then, um, and then I also think there's other, some speed, some speed guys like uh, Nick Solak is a guy that I'm actually digging a little bit more, um, which I guess he's probably in here, isn't he? He should be. No. Oh, yeah, he is. He's in the, yeah, next, the next group. The next group. He's in the next group. Come on down. Wow. Look at that transition right there. So Robles is fine, but I do think that there's similar profiles that you can get later on. That may not be the case as we get to March. I think some of those guys are going to move up a little bit. Um, last one, Ryan Mountcastle, I have no interest in at all. Um, I know folks are, are into him a little bit, but, um, you know, if you look at him, 333 batting average, but on a 398 BABIP, um, you know, the hard hit rate wasn't great. The O-swing wasn't that great. The contact rate wasn't that great. The stat cast data wasn't that great. Like everything kind of wasn't that great. And he had a 398 BABIP that had him hitting 333. So, you know, I think he needs to hit for a high batting average, which is certainly possible given, you know, kind of what, um, what he did during the minor leagues. What is Steamer hasn't projected at like 277, you know, so 277, 26 home runs, 70 runs, 82 RBIs. So fine. Three stolen bases. But if he's not necessarily getting, being a big helper, I feel like I'm talking to my, my four and my seven year old. Are you going to be a big helper today? Are you, um, if he's not going to be a big helper in those categories, right. Um, in batting average or stolen bases, then I think there's other guys that are still here that I'm much more interested in. And that's not to say that development can't happen and, and he won't be really good. But, um, so those are kind of the guys I think in that group, you know, Loriano is definitely the most interesting to me just from a kind of cost benefit, uh, I think Carlson, I I would not be surprised to see Carlson as like a top 50 hitter, you know, going into next year. I could definitely see something like that happening, but the price is is starting to push up in the, you know, early 100s range. And And I anticipate that that will be even further up when drafts come along. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, start with Yaz. I like Yaz a lot. I think you pretty much know what you're going to get from Yaz, barring something crazy like Steady Eddie. 250 to 260, 25-ish homers. That's what he's going to do because the offense around him is not great. So it's, it's going to be tough to really help you a ton, and he's not going to run a lot. So that's something to keep in mind also. So I think he's a good ball player. I think he's 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 legit. It's just a matter of is he the fancy guy you're looking for in this range. It's like Dylan Carlson can do what Yaz can do, but maybe better because he'll steal some bags. And I like I like Carlson a lot. Um, played him in DFS a ton towards the end of the year because he was cheap. And they hit him third or fourth in the lineup the last few weeks into the postseason, and he he answered like you said when he got called back up, he uh, hit around two seventy five with some pop, no steals. He had I think a sixteen percent barrel rate and a sixty percent hard hit rate over that time. Like he was seeing the ball and he was doing things we expected him to do. So I'm a big Dylan Carlson fan. Hit in the middle of that Cardinals lineup. Uh, there's a lot to like there, especially if he runs like he did in 2019 in the minors. Big upside there. I agree with everything you said with Loriano. I remember this time last year, we were literally 
comparing Fam and Lorian, like you said, like this is a young Tommy Fam. So why don't you take him a little later? Uh, higher upside of Tommy Fam, stuff along those lines. So I'm with you. I think it's a good bounce back option there for Loriano. Uh, Victor Robles, I love at this price point. You know, last year we had to pay so much for him, and now you're getting them around pick 145 ish, 150. And I think that's an, an insane value. I agree. As we get closer to like the, the heart of draft season, you're going to see the price tag go up because the price for steals always goes up later in draft season. And the one thing with Robles, if the hit tool doesn't come to be like you're saying, he's still going to run. And um, it was a couple years ago in 2019, he still hit 255 with 17 homers, 28 steals, 86 runs, and 65 RBIs. That is a phenomenal player at that point in the draft, like a really good player. And Steamer thinks that's what he has, 16, 68, 65, 22, and 251. Like at pick 145, that is great. When we were doing it like a pick 55, that was a different story. But pick 150 right now, I, I can I can dig some Victor Robles at this point in time, especially like I wouldn't take a bunch of gamble guys. Like don't go get, getting Buxton and Robles, like all these pieces. But if you want to get like one of them to mix in there that has that good upside floor ceiling combination for you, I think Robles is a good one, uh, one that I like a lot. And then Ryan Mountcastle, I like the kid. I like his tools. Like you mentioned, a lot of luck last year. So there's a lot of things I want to see. That Orioles team was fun offensively. They couldn't win a baseball game, but they had a lot of fun fantasy parts there, and Mountcastle was one of them. Uh, he'll be a fun asset throughout the season, but I can see some some rough patches for the kid. And it get really rough. So uh, I had no problem if you want to take him, but like I'd rather take Victor Robles, like a pick ahead of him, or – some of these guys we're going to talk about in the next grouping that I take probably all five of them over Ryan Mountcastle. So I like the kid. You're just paying for his name right now. You know, he should be going about a hundred picks later in my opinion, but he's not. So that's where I stand on that one. Hey, hey Baba, this is up first. I wonder if you can see it. Can you see, can you see the rolling average graph for Dylan rolling Carlson? Yes. Look at this. You come here for the graphics. Look at that. Beautiful. Beautiful. The contact beautiful. going up. Ground ball rate going down, hard hit rate going up, O swing going down. That's what you. That's what you live to see. Yep. That's what you live to see right there. For those of you on the podcast, I apologize. We just looked at a rolling average graph. Is why you should show up to the live stream. Yep, it's fun. It's fun. Picks forty one or outfielders forty one through forty five. Jorge Soler, Anthony Santander, Nick Solak, Michael Brantley, and Ian Happ. This is a group that I can see myself grabbing one or two from throughout the draft. So what are you seeing here? Yeah, it's a group that I like a lot um, as well. Um, I think with Soler, um, you know, I'm not that interested just because I think power is the calling card, um, you know, and his his contact rate, you know, last year, like he's, he was down 4% this year. Obviously, small sample size. He was also hurt a little bit. So I think it's fine if you're just going like for, for a pure power perspective, um, which, you know, honestly, there's nothing, nothing wrong with doing that at this point in time. So if you're down in, in, in power, he's a nice little addition. And that is a better lineup, you know. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they hit him, you know, Witt first, Mondesi second, Perez third, Santana fourth, Soler fifth. That yeah. sound about right. Santana and Slayer probably they could flip flop at any time, but yeah, that's yeah, about, that's pre- it's pretty close, yeah. Yeah, so I mean that's it. That, that's intriguing. So I think it's really interesting. You know, I just, you know, a lot of times I, I'm in drafts. I'm very, I'm focused on other things, um, other than power at this point um, in the draft. You know, sometimes to my detriment. Um, but 
Uh, definitely solid. Um, Santander is really interesting to me. I mean, because the play discipline isn't there, but the contact is, the batted ball quality is improving. Everything looks really nice. I think he's just a, I think he's just a really good hitter. Um, and so I kind of like him, but at the same time, the speed's not really there at all. So he's not contributing that much. And so it's kind of a thing where it's like, yeah, he's going to have a better batting average, you know, than maybe a Solaire, but you know, you believe in Solaire's power a little bit more context for Solaire, maybe a little bit better too. And then, you know, this, the speed is not, you know, maybe, maybe five or six stolen bases, I think from Santander. So, um, I don't mind him. I, I thought about drafting him this last draft I was in. I just thought about it. If, if the guy who I wanted didn't go, I might've drafted him. So that's kind of where I am at him. But the guy that I did draft, oh, it's actually not the next guy, but I'll talk about him next. The guy that I did draft was Michael Brantley. Um, I just think Michael Brantley's so, so solid, you know, I mean, always always underappreciated. I mean, that batting average that he's giving you right there. I mean, take it, grab it, take it right there. And I I think he'll move up a little bit. I think he'll move up a little bit as drafts get there. But he always seems to be in like the, you know, last year he's in the 135 range. So around 150 probably this year. You know, I try to think about where he's going to end up. I can't see a non-contender going after him just because he's older and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him re-up with the Astros maybe. I mean, we talked about how bad their outfield looks. So maybe he's out there for a little bit. I mean, talk about a guy that would have been perfect for that, for the White Sox. But, um, you know, so I wouldn't necessarily be surprised, you know, especially if, if free agents aren't getting those really good deals. If you were to sign something similar to what Eaton signed, you know, maybe with the, with the Astros, maybe a little bit more. Obviously, you know, defensively, I don't think he's he's great anymore. But um, I really like him. I mean, just I love being able to think about, oh, man, I have Michael Brantley. I can fill in right here to get that that boost to me in batting average before I go and we're in, still we, until we when we get into the dregs of batting average, right, where guys that we're looking at that we like are not really providing that, um, generally speaking. So really love Brantley at all. And ahead of that is Nick Solak. Um, you know, I've never really been into Nick Solak, but then I dive into the profile and it's very enjoyable. You know, in the sense that he makes a ton of contact. He's had good discipline in the past. Not great this past year, but, you know, solid enough. But he makes a ton of contact, so he's going to put a lot of balls in play. The ground ball rate is too high. You know, the power is not really there. He doesn't have a lot of really good quality of contact metrics. He's projected, I think, for 17 or 18 home runs, which seems reasonable. And then the stolen bases might seem a little light. I mean, I think they're projecting him for... um, Oh, what are they projecting him for? I should I should remember this because I've been looking at his profile. Um, Steamer hasn't projected for nine stolen bases, you know, but he already has nine in 368 plate appearances. I think the Rangers are going to be super aggressive on the base, base paths, right? They have no reason not to be. They're going to need to generate offense. They're going to have Leody Tavares. They're going to have Kinner Falefa. They're going to have... Um, Solak. So I think they're going to steal bases. So I think that's a little bit light. And so when you start to think about a guy who has a pretty decent batting average floor, and I think a really good season, if, if luck rolls his way, or maybe he hits a few more line drives than he normally does. Uh, he also improved the launch angle as the season progressed. Um, ground ball rate fell. Or actually, I think the ground ball rate was relatively similar, but the launch angle um, increased dramatically over his last little bit. 
So that was really nice to see. So I think it's just a really kind of nice Tommy Edmund Edmund ish uh, profile, and you're getting it later on. And if you miss out on Brantley, then he's also a plus batting average guy. Solak is, and so I think you can go with him. He's got second base eligibility in outfield. I wouldn't be surprised to see him add third base eligibility um, at some point this year as well. So he's a guy that's grown on me a decent amount. Um, and I do like him um, a lot. Um, Ian Happ, I think, is another good example, is a good example for me of a guy who you drafted last year because he was going at ADP 250 or more. And because all, he didn't need to provide you with much to get there. But now all of a sudden, you know, he's going around pick, you know, 160-ish, 150-ish. And um, I'm just not into it. You know, it's not a great batting average profile. Stolen bases, it's been a bit, you know, he had he had decent stolen bases in 17 and 18. But in his last, you know, 400 plate appearances, he has three stolen bases um, the last couple years. The strikeout rate is still an issue. You know, we saw that contact rate jump up in the small sample size in 2019. It crashed down to earth 66.5%. I think those of us who own, who had shares, who had him on our team last year, you know, we were very aware that he fell off a cliff, you know, in that second half there after starting off really hot. So I just don't see anything to love there, right? Like we're going to talk to him about him in a second and we've already mentioned it, but like, why on earth are you drafting him ahead of like Kutch at this point? You know what I'm saying? Like there's no reason. There's zero reason to do that. Don't do it. Don't be that person. Um, yeah, it's an interesting range. Uh, I like Soler, but empty bat. Well, his bat is about 252, 60. He's not empty, but he's not going to steal you a lot of bases. So it just kind of depends. Are you already starting to target certain? Are you, are you really low on power? Okay. Maybe go take a chance on Soler here. I could see that being a, a, an option. He should be able to drive in a lot of runs, like you mentioned. So that that could be a big plus in that improved lineup. Um, Anthony Santander is a guy I really like. I'm, I'm surprised every time I see his ADP this high. Um, he's a guy I even wrote up last year, like a post-250 or 300 guy to target in drafts. And now that's not going to be the case. But um, doesn't steal, as you mentioned. That's the biggest bugaboo, and that's why I'm kind of surprised he's going this high. The rest of the tools are great. Switch hitter, hits the ball very well, power, okay average. Like I, I, I like Santander a lot. I don't mind taking him if you're good on steals. I think he'll bring you a steady steady production to your lineup that you will appreciate at this point in the draft. Uh, you mentioned Brantley. He's literally a guy you can just plug in and never worry about. Like It's it's perfect. The, like you mentioned, the batting average that Michael Brantley, relief he brings to your lineup is huge. There's no there's no uh, ifs, ands, or buts about that. So hopefully he gets in a, lot, a nice spot and – you know, with the Astros, he was hitting third, which is outstanding. So maybe he can find a spot. Probably not that nice, but, hey, you never know. Like you said, maybe he goes back to, to Houston. Um, I like Nick Solak a lot. I'm with you 100% on the fact that I think the stolen bases are much lower than should be expected. And you mentioned the launch angle improvement. And, you know, the ground ball rate dropped 4%, not much, but the fly ball rate rose like 13%, so or 12%. So he's starting to elevate the ball a lot more. Um, his overall solid contact went up, even though his barrel rate went down. So it's just a combination. I keep putting things together a little more. He's still super young, big time. He was 25 years old. He was a very talented prospect in the race system. They had to, tr- they had to trade him, just like the Nate Lowe situation all over again. Maybe we should start calling the Rangers the, you know, Texas, the, the Rays, like plan B or something. I don't know. But uh, 
I do like uh, Solak quite a bit, especially at second base. If you're not using him in the alpha, I think it's a big upgrade at second base. I like the comparison to Tommy Edmund Light. I think mean, it's, it's a good comparison there. Then Ian Happ, I like a lot. Like I understand his batting average is, is a is a drain, and there's a lot of questions about how he finished the season. But I guess for me, we're getting a guy leading off for the Cubs, a team that completely underperformed last year that I don't see underperforming again to that level this year. So now you got the leadoff hitter for the Cubs. They should run more, hopefully, this season. Is David Ross. Maybe that's his philosophy he's not going to. Maybe it's a shortened season where they just couldn't get anything going, so he didn't run. I don't know. But uh, the lack of steals is a little troublesome. It's still you know, over 10% barrel rate, 48% hard hit rate was the best of his career last year. Struck out 2% more to 27%, but walked up to 13% last year. His OBP has been outstanding pretty much every season. He's been in the big, so he gets on base. He's going to score runs in that offense. He's got some really good pop. I like Cap. Yes, there are red flags that you mentioned. I'm not going to disagree with that at all. Um, but he doesn't chase. He, st- he stays in the zone quite a bit, which I like to see from a young hitter. So he's being conscientious there. Probably leads to more walks, as we see. Ground ball rate's not ideal. The fly ball rate drops 11% last year. But you mentioned that with uh, his overall quality of contact dropping as well. So I'm going to kind of notch him up. If you want to get some of that Cubs offense that I do think rebounds, he's a nice value because even Rizzo's fallen, Baez is falling. We talked about all these guys we like. Why wouldn't we like the leadoff hitter that hits in front of those guys? I think that's that's something that, that gets my attention. So Ian Happ is a guy I don't mention at this point in the draft. Yeah, 30 homers, nine steals, like like they're saying in the, in the projections, is something I can definitely get behind from Happ, including all the runs he'll score. So. I like him quite a bit at ADP 166. So uh, I'll jump all over that one. All right, 46 to 50. We got Dalton Varsho, who we talked about at the catcher position. He's got a value there. Uh, Joey Gallo, who's falling like crazy. Clint Fraser, Victor Reyes, and Max Kepler. This is a, a grouping I won't see myself taking many of. But uh, what do you like here? Yeah, we're getting into territory where I'm always taking pitchers. So I, I don't even know these guys. Um, no, I mean, Varsho, you're drafting him as a catcher. I mean, if you're drafting him as an outfielder, um, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Just don't do it. You're drafting him for a catcher. I mean, it's nice that he has the dual position eligibility because if you have an amazing, two amazing catchers, then you can plug him in in the outfield. But, um, again, you know, I think for, um, for Varsho, you want him as a catcher. Gallo, you know, it's the same it's the same story, you know, I think different year, right. Uh, batting average concerns. If you're an over in an overall competition, it's very, very hard, you know, to add Gallo. Um, his projections now are finally kind of catching up. I think it, they've always projected him for a little bit of a higher batting average, but in the last four seasons, you know, and obviously these aren't the same sample size for all of them, but 209, 206, 253, 181 and the major difference is that in one of those years he hit he had a 368 Babbitt right so he's kind of the guy we know he is and you can't really have that profile if you're in an overall competition which is generally the way the perspective that I'm thinking about these but certainly if you're going to pump batting average or something like that you can certainly do it and then in OBP leagues you know he's so much more um uh he's so much more valuable um in OBP leagues so um you know don't be as worried about pulling the uh, pulling the trigger there um for Clint Frazier, uh, um, I don't really like it that much. I mean, he's he's obviously with the with the Yankees, but I'm just going to make sure that I'm remembering this right because I'm going off of memory. But I think his batted ball quality is pretty poor. Yeah, so let's see. Hard hit rate, 31.8%. 
You look at his, you know, exit velocities around league average, max exit velos, nothing to write home about. Barrel rate is is decent. Hard hit rate's good. So he's all he's all right, but I just don't, um, you know, I don't think he does anything particularly good. Um, and you know, except for maybe the plate discipline, contact skills a little bit down. So he's kind of mad. It's kind of like one of these questions where you're like, if he wasn't on the Yankees, like where would he be going? You know, and it's probably like, you know, fifty to hundred spots later. And it's not like we have we should be agnostic of the. Um, or I don't know, agnostic is the right word there, but, um, uh, we should be, well, whatever uh, about where, what his context is, right. That matters, um, where he's going to be at, but it just, there's nothing in the profile that really catches me. Um, and, um, you know, not great batting average, not really stealing a bunch of bases, not really hitting for a ton of power. So I think it's fine to pass up here. Um, I think with uh, Victor Reyes is really interesting to me, you know, from like a speed perspective, speed, power, batting average guy with um, uh, with the Tigers. Um, I haven't gotten him at all. I've been more interested in Leody Tavares because I think the, I think Tavares has some pretty interesting um, power potential. I don't necessarily think Reyes does, but Reyes also makes a bunch more contact. Um, I think he was playing every day towards the end of the year, Victor Reyes, but yeah. I yeah. being platooned early on in the season. And so, um, you know, uh, I guess I should probably look that up because that's why people listen to the program. Is, is yeah, he, he, he was leading off towards the end of the season. playing every he, day. He was leading off and playing every day. Um, does he have, I'm just checking out. Switch if he had what his splits, his yeah. splits look like. Yeah. I mean, he has got a high, higher batting average versus lefties. He's a switch and hitter. Brutal so WRC is over his WRC plus is 82 from the left and 78 from the right. Not a power. He's not a power bat. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. Yeah. Um, but again, interesting just from a batting average stolen bases. And if he leads off, off in that lineup every day, I think that's a really interesting combination. So, you know, if you're looking for speed, I find myself oftentimes, like I mentioned, like, you know, you got kind of to uh, Robles there, you got Tavares there, you got Solak there, you got Victor Reyes there. So some interesting, um, kind of speed opportunities if you miss out early on. And you could even double tap those, right? I mean, that's about 30, 30 projected stolen bases there in a short period of time. We also have Lorenzo Kane, who I don't know if he's on the outline, but um, he didn't quite make the outline. Lorenzo no, he just missed. Yeah, he just missed. Um, and then Max Kepler is kind of Max Kepler, right? He's not going to have high batting average. Uh, he's going to hit a decent amount of home runs. He's going to score decent amount of runs, decent amount of RBI. And he's going to steal a little bit. Um, that's kind of what he is, what he's always been. I think there's definitely a pretty low average floor for him um, just because of the the batted ball profile hits a ton of fly balls. So if they're not going out for home runs, they're probably not. They're probably just outs. So, again, not somebody that I've necessarily targeted at all. I think this is a really nice spot in the draft for some pitching and some closers. So again, like just strategically, I have not been focused as focused on the hitters right here. But of this group, I would say Reyes is the most interesting if you're looking for that speed, you know, and then Varsho at catcher. But all the other guys, I think, are are not special. No yeah, as much as, as well as much as I like the last region, like I agree with you. It's you know we raved about Varsho as a potential just beast catcher. But in the outfield, he's like a yeah, whatever. Like he's there, there's there's many guys like him or better than him in the outfield. But as a catcher, amazing at this point in the draft, he has like tremendous potential. So 
yeah, don't take him with an outfield, like you said. If you're playing him in the outfield, you better have one really weird, talented roster to make that fit. Um, Joey Gallo, I will not have anything to do with. Not a chance at all. Clint Frazier, I agree. The contact, the overall approach has been odd, but something about batting six for the Yankees, there's going to be – it's like batting six for the Rockies. It really is. I'm not saying it's, it's not Coors Field, and it's not making me go – like I don't I don't have any shares of Clint Frazier anywhere, but I see the appeal to it because mm-hmm. the question with him has always been every day at bats. And once he started getting regular at bats last year, we saw big power numbers. We saw – it's a really good production. Like, it wasn't great. He had a bunch of, like, 0 for games. or like, what in the world? But the overall stat line at the end was very fantasy relevant. So I, I see that appeal, and that's the beauty of playing in a lineup like that where you're going to see a Yankees team score 8, 9, 10 runs a lot. And so if he just shows up those days, they're sitting pretty. And uh, I could see that happening. So I don't hate people taking him there. I, I don't have any shares of him because I'm like you where I'm taking pitching or some of these other guys around him. But I see the appeal. To Clint Frazier, where he's it's one of those guys like when you used to talk about Javi Baez and some other guys where the you know the the aggressiveness or this or that was like, yeah, it's kind of scary, but they somehow keep getting it done. Clint Frazier's gonna put up kind of what he's doing now where he kind of deserves to be in this range of, of outfielder. So I, I got no problem with that. And he'll run more than I think he did last year. That's another thing as well. Uh Victor Reyes, I love. I don't like the fact he's going as high in drafts. That that really bums me out. Um, I picked him up in so many deep leagues last year. I had him in a lot of lineups. And that might not be something to be proud of, but he steals bases. He gets on a ton because of that contact you mentioned, and he scores a lot of runs. He's not going to hit you for much power, but he gets a lot. He was a doubles and triples machine. So if you're in like certain weird points leagues, he's got some really sneaky value. He really does. He just doesn't have the power yet. And maybe he develops that. He's still super young. So it's something to keep an eye on with Victor Reyes. Um, I wouldn't like hold my breath for that. He's like another Victor Robles, like you said. Or I, I like the Leo to Tavares to Tom. I, like I agree, Tavares probably more power. Reyes definitely more batting average. But both have very good um, approaches. And I, I like your other comparison. You know, we mentioned Buxton, Solak, Robles, Fam, Lorna, all these steals guys. So say you don't get one of the big shortstops early or one of those guys early on, and you you go pocket aces, and then you get a real Muto, and then you get you know some other guys that don't steal a ton. This is a great way to add up steals in a hurry. So. Um, and they're not flashy, but you don't have to worry about it because you already got power early, stuff like that. It's the way you – it's roster construction, not, uh, you know, does this guy really fit at this point in the draft? Does he fit for my team? And I think guys like Victor Reyes actually do. The price tag is tough to stomach, but a pick 180, what he can bring to your – he's like a a lighter Michael Brantley that steals more. That's what I'd say. Like, he's very boring. Like you plug him in your lineup because he's leading off and he's, he'll produce by the end of the week. That's just what he does. So I, I like uh, Victor Reyes quite a bit, and then Max Kepler. You, yeah, like I love Max Kepler. We love Max Kepler, but he's he's Max Kepler. You said it really well. Yeah, he's going to get you twenty five ish homers hit for like a two forty five average and not run a ton. Like that's what Max Kepler does. So and that lineup, no Rosario, maybe no Cruz. Like it's still a very good lineup. It's not quite what it once was. So keep that in mind with Minnesota. That's going to be really interesting to see where they go there. All right, fifty one to fifty five. Randall Grichik. Jerickson Profar, Kyle Schwarber, Trey Mancini, and Leody Tavares. What about this range? Yeah, I mean, this is a range is an interesting one. Um, I like Grichik a lot more when he's going in like the mid to late 200s than he is right here. He obviously had a really good season. I don't fully buy it, though. Like, there was an increase in contact rate that he had, but also an increase in ground ball rate. Um, the, the batted ball quality metrics were fine. 
Um, but I just don't see the batting average holding. I think he's kind of the same guy that he was. Maybe if he keeps the contact, you know, um, gains. And remember, he was hitting only against, you know, the East pitching, which was the worst, you know, um, uh, across the board. You know, I just I just wonder. He had the highest home run per fly ball rate of his career as well, probably playing, you know, in Buffalo. So I just I don't buy him as being a different player now than he was before. And what he's always been is, you know, a late power guy, but it's not as late. And I think I like the profiles of guys around this spot a little bit more. And so I don't find myself going there because I think the the batting average floor still remains pretty low uh, on on Grichuk. Profar is interesting, um, you know, obviously depends on where he ends up. But, um, you know, the batting average is never going to be super helpful, I don't think, with him. You know, um, uh, this was the best that he's had, 238 batting average over 2,000-plus plate appearances. The qu- the quality of contact was pretty decent, um, but the, the, the kind of power-speed combo, I think, is what is the most intriguing about him. Um, you know, and, and I don't know if he's been consistent enough for me to really grab him right here, but certainly an interesting profile that, has a lot of ways to succeed if he's in the right place and if he can find a little bit more consistency. I think um, uh, Schwarber. Schwarber is the guy that I like the most out of this out of this group um, because I still I think he's the same guy. I think it's a similar conversation to the one with Loriano, right, where we were all in on him last year and then nothing changed all that much. I mean, Schwarber, yeah, he hit 188, which sucks. His ground ball rate went up a bunch, which kind of is lame. But the hard hit rate is the same. Contact rate was the same. So that 29.5% strikeout rate really doesn't make sense with his contact rate at close to 74%. I mean, to frame it a different way, he's slightly below league average in overall contact rate, but and yet he's got close to a 30% strikeout rate. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, it's small sample size um, stuff for me. When you look at um, the quality of the batted ball, the exit velocity is still elite. The max exit below wasn't what it was in 18 or 19, but there's no reason at age 27 that he's all of a sudden, you know, not going to hit as hard. Uh, barrel rate was still above 10%, 11.2%, hard hit rate at 47.2%. So a lot of the quality of contact metrics were all really, really good. You know, if you look at his rolling average graphs too, he has these periods of time where the ground ball rate um, goes up you know, and then it comes down. It's just, it's just the way that things happen. So I think he got a really crappy start to the season where nobody in that lineup really got going. And I think he's going to mash wherever he ends up. And so I'd much rather grab a Schwarber. Like I believe Schwarber can actually be a very good hitter. I don't believe the same thing about Randall Grichuk. Um, And so for me, I think Schwarber is the guy. And again, it depends on where he ends up, but as long as he's going to be in the lineup every day, um, I, I absolutely love Schwarber where he's going um, right now. And then um, Trey Mancini, you know, the only thing with Mancini is, is the health, right? He's been gone for a year. Um, that's the major question, but we saw what he was capable of two years ago. And that was really nice. I mean, that's high batting average is power. It's, it's, it's nice. And the Orioles lineup is better now, you know, it's two years on from that. And, um, you know, it's a stronger lineup. So I have not grabbed any Trey boo boo, um, yet. I'm sorry. Uh, I hope you're not disappointed in me yet, but maybe, maybe there will be that time that I, 
that I do. I think I, I just I love the speed guys that are going around here. So I oftentimes find myself hunting for speed in this area of the draft. And if I'm not hunting for speed, then I'm looking for power with like, you know, a guy like Schwarber, um, something of that nature. Yeah. And then Laoti Taveras is a guy that I really like a lot. I don't know if, um, if Smata is still on here, but you know, he is the, he's the, I think the future for them, you know, in, um, in center field. So they're going to give him a, a nice run. Um, He's going to steal a lot of bases. He's really fast. And the power is a little bit surprising. I mean, uh, 6.5% barrel rate, so not tremendous, but decent enough. You know, max exit below around 108 miles per hour, um, you know, right around league average exit velocity. But he's shown in some of his minor league career that there might be a little bit more um, in the bat right there. You know, his strikeout rate was 32%, but the overall contact rate was just slightly below, well, maybe four to 5% below league average, um, uh, you know, but not a 32% K rate type stuff. Um, and then his plate discipline is decent. And I think it's been decent throughout his, you know, minor league career. Yeah. Seven, 8% walk rate, 9% walk rate, 11% walk rate. So, you know, again, I, I just really like the profile. I think he's going to get a ton of plate appearances and I think he's going to steal a ton of bases. And I think he's going to hit, you know, the steamers projecting him for 13 home runs and 22 stolen bases with a 245 batting average and 584 plate appearances. So if he gets up, if he, if he stays healthy and he plays every day, you know, in that leadoff spot, you know, you're looking at potentially up to 650 plate appearances. And then you're talking about a 15 and 25 guy instead, which I think at this point in the draft is, um, is really valuable. And I do think that there's upside. I think that there's, um, you know, I think, I think it can work. Um, I think it could work really good for him. Um, so those are the guys, I mean, I, I've been drafting Tavares and Schwarber. Those have been kind of my outfielders that I'm drafting at this point in the draft. Um, yeah. yeah there seems to be a trend with guys that we like and we just can't quit because they become values again this year. Like Schwarber, we were all over last year. I could pick one fifty ish or something like that. Now he's got almost 50 picks later. It's like, how do you, like you said, nothing really changed. And again, the Cubs had a bad year. Like it's just one of those things I kind of, I kind of notch up. I agree. He's also a better hitter. Like everyone said that they kind of wonder if part of his hitting struggle has been is trying to play defense. Like it's taken away from his focus at the plate. Now if he can go sign and be a DH somewhere, that'd be, he's built to be a DH. Like <laughs> that's what he's supposed to do. So yeah, I, I love Schwarber. I know I skipped ahead there, but I think that's a, a phenomenal value at that point in the draft. And they should be, he should be going up uh, later in the year, which I think, honestly, I'd have to look back. I want to say about this point last year, he was going to pick 200 or so. And then this, the steam started coming towards the end of draft season. So that might happen again once he signs somewhere. Uh, Gritchick, I oh, agree. Schwar- yeah, yeah, he, sure, ended, but, he ended up going at like 120. To yeah, he kept climbing up towards the end there. Uh, Gritchick, I agree. He's too, too steep for my price tag. I, the, the average, got to do it more than once for me to believe that that's a thing. We, we knew who he was before last year, but I think we're paying that premium. The baby Blue Jays, the offense they produce, playing in Buffalo, we see all their guys are going up in drafts. So maybe if you want the baby Blue Jays, you got to pay for them this year. That's something to think about. I like Profar a lot if I knew where he was playing. I think there's a lot of upside there with him. He can help you a little bit in all five categories. I, I think there is a lot to like there with him. Um, and I agree with you on Tavares. I think he's great. He's another guy. It seems like in each region here we have another – 20 plus steel potential guy 
that you're going to get here, which is which is good as you're going through your draft. And that's kind of the point of these podcasts is to go, okay, if I need steals, I got guys here, here, here. Who can I go for? I mean, and Tavares is a great later round pick, like a really good one. And like you said, is this? It's a Rangers team that they're going young, they're rebuilding. He's going to have a lot of playing time, a lot of uh, leash. Is not the word we should use, but that's what it is. Like they're going to let him have a lot of leeway uh, at the top of that order. So that's that, that's a a very nice spot there. And then Trey Boo Boo, I saved him for last. I love Trey. I don't have any shares of Trey right now either. I just have so many questions about the health. Like I'm not saying he's not healthy. Obviously, he's, that's all good. That's awesome. That's great. But a year removed to going through all those treatments, I'm not. I wouldn't be shocked if he has a great year. Like I, I kind of want to see him in spring training. I really do. Let me see him go out there and play some baseball. Um, I might have some towards the end. The, the talents there. If he's anywhere close to where he was before all this, it's going to be great because that little Royals lineup is a lot better. So I'm all in on that. But I'm kind of hesitant, especially when you got Schwarber and Tomorrow's right there. I, I probably don't have any Mancini as well. All right, the last five we're doing tonight, 56-60, to 60, McCutcheon, J.D. Davis, Jesse Winker, Jared Kalinick, and Austin Hayes. Yeah, I mean, I love McCutcheon. McCutcheon is kind of the – he's like the end of it for me. He's like after McCutcheon goes, I'm not all that interested in the outfielders for a little bit. Um, I'm interested in some of the more deeper – the deeper ones. But Kutch is just so – he's so steady. Um the skills are steady. The production is steady. I wasn't on him last year just because of the injury, you know, and, and I was worried about how he was going to respond. But, you know, 10 home runs, four stolen bases, and 250 plate appearances. I mean, he seems like just he's he seems 2010, you know, uh, seems like it's good. I feel like he's just like 250, 20, 10. And then the runs could be off the charts. I mean, you know, his O-swing went up a little bit, but still borderline elite at 25% last year, hitting at the front of that Phillies lineup, which may not be as good, but is still going to be good, uh, you know, with him um, if if JTR doesn't doesn't re-sign there. But I I think that may end up happening when all is said and done. You know, you look at the steamer projection, 246 with 26 home runs, 87 runs. 70 RBI, nine stolen bases. And I think the thing that I really like about him a lot, and I think we don't talk about this a lot, or maybe, I, I don't know, I feel like we haven't talked about it that much, but runs are, are hard to come by in drafts later on too, right? Because the better the hitters, the further up in the batting order they hit. And so it's really hard to get some really solid run contributors later in drafts. And I think McCutcheon is going to get you a ton of runs. If he's healthy, he's going to score a ton of runs and that's going to be nice. Um, you're going to really like that. And so I think he's phenomenal um, going where he's going right now. Um, you know, I just, I just absolutely love where he's, where he's going. Um, uh, JD Davis. I mean, I think JD Davis is, is, uh, is fine. Um Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't read too much into this past year. I was looking into his profile earlier this week. Um, so yeah, no, there wasn't any type of dramatic change. The hard hit rate went down a little bit. Um, you know, not the 355 uh, Babbitt, but he's always had a really strong batted ball quality, you know, so the exit velocity over 90 miles per hour. So solid, not quite as good as 2019. 
Um, the barrel rate, you know, similar to 2019, hard hit rate similar to, to 2019. I think the issue was um, the ground balls. Um, yeah, up at 56.3%. So that was a major thing. But again, over small sample sizes, the batted ball, um, batted ball stuff can be a little, can be noisy because, you know, you're not putting a bat, a ball in play on every single time you're up. So you take out the walks, you take out the strikeouts, you know, and then all your batted balls and the small sample size is just a lot smaller. You know, he does traditionally have a higher ground ball rate, you know, 50.6% for his career, but you know, a 6% drop down to that 50% mark for JD Davis would do a tremendous amount of good um, for the power potential. So I still think he's, he, I think he's fine. I haven't been grabbing him, but um, I think he's fine. Uh, Winker, um, you know, again, I think is fine. I know he was much better last year from a batted ball perspective. I know he struggled a little bit, you know, in the second half after just being blazing for like a week or two there. Um, but I do, you know, um, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I have no shares of Winker. Um, again, I just, I don't know. Am I, am I, am I wrong here? I used to love Jesse Winker so much. I I love Jesse Winker. It's just like they got him penciled in to play and he played 54 games last year, which I thought was more than I expected. It seemed like they were always platooning him. And that's, that's the the question with, with Winker. Like he's a, he's a great ball player and he's an OBP dream, but, uh, I don't know. There's so much turmoil in that, that, uh, that team right now. I kind of want to see how things settle before I go uh, taking chances on Jesse Winker. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely an interesting profile. You know, he sold out. He sold out for in OBP. Obviously, it's better, but he sold out for power, and it, it happened. You know, but then then you lose. You know, when he was coming up, I was like, man, this guy. He's like mini Joey Votto, but you know, um, he hasn't just he had, just hasn't been able to put it together. He's not going to steal bases for you. The platoon issues, like you mentioned. Just not that into it. Kalenic, I mean, Kalenic could be great. He could be the, the, the prospect that comes up this year and really just absolutely excels. But, you know, again, I don't, I just don't, I don't, I don't like getting them. I don't like, I don't really, I, I never invest in the prospects. Yeah. So don't listen to anything I have to say, but he's got power. He's got speed. I think the batting average, at least at the major league level initially is a little bit, suspect i don't know when they're going to bring him up either so i just hesitate to to put this type of a of a uh, to spend this type of draft capital on a guy that i'm not quite sure is going to play uh but he could be really good but i just think that there's other guys who can provide kind of a similar profile going this i mean even austin hayes right like kind of power not power speed but projected for 22 home runs 11 stolen bases and 530 plate appearances with pretty decent batting average um, the contact rate was really nice. Uh, the batted ball quality is the one is the stuff that's pretty suspect for him, um, but he's making it work. And you know maybe that's a factor of of Camden. Actually, that'd be really interesting. We should I should check that out. Did he hit like all his home runs at home? I, I bet me, he I bet he did. Let me go to that fancy uh, baseball savant, and I'll tell you how many homers would have counted. No, I'm totally wrong. In your face, Toby. Three three away, one one on the road. Um, yeah, I mean Austin Hayes is definitely interesting. I haven't I haven't um, I haven't uh, drafted him yet, but I mean if you think about it, like the numbers are pretty similar to Kutch. 
But, you know, because Kutch is great at OBP, he'll score a lot more runs, and I think he's in a better lineup. But um, a, a nice little maybe consolation prize there if you miss out on some of those other guys. So, yeah. Yeah, the moral of the story is draft Andrew McCutcheon because this is one of those price tag things that makes zero sense. Zero sense at all. Like you mentioned, the, uh, runs, a, lead, a leadoff hitter on an offense like the Phillies at this point in the draft is crazy. He brings power. He brings some speed. brings a good average. He doesn't really hurt you at all. As long as he's on the field, he's going to help your team out. So I, I love Kutch. Uh, that I got him in a lot of places. wherever <laughs> He's on a lot of teams. Uh, J.D. Davis, yeah, he hits the ball really, really hard, and people love him for that. But when it's on the ground, and like you, get, you said, it's, it's tough to be a fantasy asset at that point in time. So show me some improvements. We'll talk there. I like we said we mentioned Winker. I like him a lot. There's just a lot of question marks. Uh, Jared Klinik, the talent's legit. I'm no prospect analyst, but I've read a lot of stuff on him. I I'm excited to watch him play. You see the videos, like he is very very good. But you mentioned a couple things. When's he going to play? He was supposed to play last year. That didn't happen. We have Rodriguez there. We have you know the reigning rookie of the years there. Like there's a lot of guys in the way. Dylan Moore might play the outfield. There's a lot of guys in the way that uh, might make them wait a few more days to get that extra little. Time for Mr. Clinic. So that's something to keep in mind there as well. And I, I usually don't draft prospects either. And then lastly, I love Austin Hayes. This is a guy I was raving about going into last season. He kind of had an up and down run of it. Expected a leadoff. You mentioned the 22 and 11, which I think is great at that point in the draft. Decent batting average. He's another guy that'll score some runs for you because the O's will put up runs. They will. Their pitching is atrocious. Then that's why they lose games, but they will put up runs especially in Camden Yards. So, and playing in Buffalo and other, like the East is a very friendly place outside of like Tampa. So, like it, it is a good spot for uh, Austin Hayes. I like him quite a bit at this point in the draft. If you're missing some some pieces there or maybe you missed Tavares or Robles or some of those guys, Austin Hayes is a nice fallback for a, a little bit of steals and a little bit of everything. So, I, I like that quite a bit at that point in the draft. All right. 60 outfielders in the books. Let's get to some listener questions, and we'll wrap up Outfield Preview Part 2. And we got a lot of listener questions because you guys are awesome like that. Uh, we had a couple left over from last week, and I'll start with Zach Roto. Asks, last year I liked a lot of post-250 guys, Grisham, Lewis, Hilliard, Winker, Hap. You um, like Teoscar, Myers, um, that he recalls. I don't really see any this year that I like after 200. Do you? And if not, does that does this alter your draft strategy? So we kind of mentioned a few, but you want to recap a couple of the post two hundos that you're liking? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll take this. Do we have a question later on that goes like real deep into outfield? I think so. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, I, after we, at, guys that I like after two hundred, pick two hundred. Um, yeah, I mean, we talked about Kutch. Um, I love. I like Lorenzo Kane. I mean, his ADP right now in the last little bit is two thirty seven. You know, and. He missed last year, but that could be good for him because he was struggling with a thumb injury. He was struggling, I think, with a knee injury in 2019. And so maybe he comes back and maybe it helps him defy a little bit of the age curve when it comes to his speed. You know, he still had great contact skills. He still had decent plate discipline, you know, in the, in the last season. He actually had improved batted ball quality metrics. So, um, you know, Kane could definitely be a huge steal too because he could hit at the top of that. Um, Brewers lineup um, as well. So I like Kane a lot. Um, I like Brian Reynolds. Um, I won't go too deep because I got a few guys that I like super deep that, that we'll cover in the next question. 
I like Brian, Brian Reynolds again. Again, another guy where the results were awful, but when you look under the hood, when you look at you know the skills and everything, there's actually potentially some growth there with the batted ball quality with Brian Reynolds, increased barrel percentage. Um, and so I think he's, I think he's really good. And, and we talked about Michael Brantley being like that batting average kind of anchor guy. I think if you're looking for a, a batting average anchor later on, it's kind of funny to say for a guy who hit whatever he hit, like 180 something. But I really think that Brian Reynolds could be that for teams next year. And then the last guy I'll mention is uh, Mark Kana. Um, I just think he's like all around solid you know, good, really strong plate discipline, good contact skills, batted ball quality is an elite, but is good enough. He's hitting in the middle of that lineup. He plays every day now. I just think he's really good and underrated. So those are some of the post 200 guys that I like um, heading into this year. Yeah. I like a lot of those guys Kutch for sure. We mentioned our love there. I like Austin Hayes quite a bit. Um, I like Manny Margot. Supposed, supposed to be no platoon for him right now in Tampa hitting the middle of that order. He's got some massive steals upside, so I like some Margot at pick 250. Uh, we mentioned the the love for Brantley. If you want another batting average asset, batting cleanup for the D-backs is David Peralta at pick mm-hmm. 270. Mm-hmm. He, he brings a ton of batting average upside uh, that later in the draft. So I think he's very interesting. This whole range, that range of Peralta, Tapia, Hicks, and Calhoun, Cole Calhoun, is a range I see a lot of uh, potential. That, that, that really has my attention later in drafts. Yeah, I, I love the Connor call. Yeah, and there, there's there's others we will talk about later that I see his names mentioned. So those are some uh, I would definitely circle if you're uh, looking for some more action. It just shows how deep outfield is. You can you can fill in some spots much, much later in drafts. Uh, and we talked about Mark Kana and Mr. Cupfully from the uh, – the, uh, I'm sorry, he's totally blanked. Uh, the the uh, FTN. Yeah, FTN. There it is. Thank you. FTN Fantasy. Um, he asked, outfield part two question. In the post-200 world, why do we keep sleeping on a guy like Mark Kana? I understand the park factor stinks, but beautiful walk rate with the back-to-back 13 plus or 13 percentage plus seasons, chips in and steals, pair of solid hard hit, and barrel rate should bat middle and A's lineup. Thoughts? I know we both like him. Do you have any more thoughts on that? No, I mean, I, I, I forgot that we had this question. Absolutely. I think um, – uh, Matt's right on. It's, I think Khan is a, a great value going here. I think the only question is what are what exactly are you looking for? He might be a guy who suffers a little bit because he doesn't do anything great. You know, he's just kind of all around solid. So generally when I'm going into these drafts, it's kind of like I'm going into this spot in the draft and I know what my weaknesses are, you know, and those are probably power and maybe a little bit of speed. So maybe I'm looking for a little bit more upside on the power. Maybe I'm looking for a little bit more speed. But all around, just solid, really solid contributor. And I, and I think that's one of the differences, like in draft and holds, you know, when I go into them strategically, I'm very, I'm keenly aware of what I'm weak on because it's not like fab where I can grind out the fab that way. Like I need to have those profiles. So oftentimes it's like, oh, dang, I, I'm clearly weak on power. And so my, the, the guys that are taking up my bench are going to need to be power guys. And Kana actually fits into that, but it may be a situation where I'm like, okay, I'm going to gear up my last batting average guy here in Brian Reynolds, and then I'm going to load up on power afterwards and maybe hope that I can luck into some of the other things that he provides. But no, I think he's absolutely right. Like, I, he's great. Yeah, no, he's awesome. There's no reason not to like him. So jump on the Mark Kana bandwagon. Uh, Steve Brunn asks, your favorite speed target in the outfield if you see your light on bags? We mentioned a lot of speed targets which is fun 
Um, is Tavares your favorite? Yeah, I really like Tavares in that spot. I've got a little bit of Tavares. Um, one guy who, um, uh, a couple other guys, um, uh, Lorenzo Cain, you know, is another one where if you're, lo- if you're short on speed, you, it may be interesting to look at him. Um, I think um, Rymel Tapia is actually really interesting, you know, because it looks like he's going to get center field there. You're going to have to compensate for the power. But a lot of times what I think about with these later guys that are speed guys is like they're a good piece to have on your bench when you either have a really bad matchup with one of your other outfielders or they have a really good matchup or somebody gets injured, you know, so you're not necessarily having them in the lineup all the time so that 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 home run and RBI totals really drag you down, but you you're kind of using them um, selectively. You know, Kevin Kiermeyer is always available late for some reason. You know, he like always goes super late in drafts. And the good thing about him is he's very solidly in that platoon with Tampa. And, and he's so good defensively that that makes you, that, that, that gives you a good understanding of what you're getting and when you can use him and when you're not going to be able to use him heading into a series. So if you have like a, either a daily or, or kind of biweekly, like you do in NFBC, I think there are opportunities to kind of uh, weigh in there with him. Um, so, so, so those are some of the later guys. There's guys like Oscar Mercado going really late. Um, there's some interesting kind of Roman Quinn, you know, is another one who's really nice to have on your bench. So that's kind of the way that I've approached it in different drafts, depending on how light on speed I was. No, no, I agree with a lot of that. We mentioned a ton of guys that I like in the speed department, so you can uh, mix and match and make all that fun stuff happen as well. Uh, the next question we have here is from Dave Swan at the Vithius. He asks, who is this year's Trent Grisham? That's a popular question going around right now. So for me, you just mentioned him, and the power is the issue where people might say he's not the next Trent Grisham because it's not great. You know, 56% ground ball rate to a 15% fly ball rate, pulls the ball 17% of the time. Those aren't ideal. Barrel rate below 3%, a hard hit rate of a 30%, but everything else I love, and that's where I melt happy, like you mentioned. I think there is big-time upside there. If he ever finds just a little bit of power and sneaks in like 15 homers, that'd be awesome. Steamer's got him for 10 and 15, 277. He's going to lead off for the Rockies, half your games in Coors Field. I think there's a lot to like there with Tapia. He, he ran pretty well towards the end of last season. You get him every day at bats there in Coors. I'm going to say past – like I think the whole point of the question is past like pick 250, who is the next guy like Trent Grisham. I'm going Rymel Tapia. Who is a guy that you see doing that? Um, I mean, how much like, how much like, uh, Trent Grisham do they need to be, do they need to have I think it's just a guy that, I think the idea is just a guy that can rise up the, the fantasy rankings like Trent Grisham did. Um, guy who can rise up the fantasy rankings like Trent Grisham did. Um, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll throw this guy out there. He's, he's going late. Um, I think he's very risky, but I love him this year. Gregory, Gregory Polanco is a guy that I absolutely love this year. Um, he did some amazing things in a small sample size last year, um, from a batted ball quality perspective. Now the, the batting average tanked. And the contact rate tanked. They were all god awful. I mean, he had a 37.4% 
um, strikeout rate. So horrible stuff there. But if you look at the rolling average graph, that improved not to something that we really like, but to good enough. I think he was like overall around 68% or something like that um, in his last 20 games. So small sample size again, but I mean, 92.9 mile per hour average exit velocity. His career is 89.2 highest max exit velocity since 2000 since 2015. Um, Highest barrel rate of his career at 12.5%. Again, you know, we're dealing with a small sample size and these things can happen. Hard hit rate was 51%. Stat cast hard hit rate was 51%. So absolutely destroying the ball. And I mean, in 174 plate appearances, he hit seven home runs. He still stole three bases. Um, He hit 153. So you can ignore that piece of the equation. Um, But I just think like, if you talk about a guy who, if he can stay healthy and he can put it all together, you know, maybe he hits 250, hits you 30 home runs and 10 stolen bases. Again, that's like night, like way up there in terms of the percentiles, but he's the type of guy where if he can stay healthy, which is a huge question mark for him, I think he's going to be a big fantasy contributor. And at the cost right now, which is like 360, 360 or something like that. What is it? 381 ADP, you know, Sign me up for that. So that's a guy. And then I'll say, stay the hell away from him next year when he's going really high, you know, up there. Don't pay the premium. Um, At J-Dub, the gamer asked, did Roman Quinn earn any more playing time with his 12 steals in 2020? OPS OPS was not ideal, but lots of statistical oddities in the 60-game season. I know you were on him late in uh, the Fab Leagues for the steals. I've been grabbing him late in drafts right now for, like, best ball and draft and holds for the steals appeal. Um, but he's still, uh, I don't know. He's still kind of platooning right now. It looks like what's your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's fine. I think he's platooning. I don't think he's a good baseball player, um, which is a bummer. So I think he's a guy that you, if you draft him, you're not planning on playing him all the time. You're kind of playing him in matchups or when somebody guys get injured, you know, type of thing. But he is, I mean, from just like a per plate appearance basis, he's probably the number one speed guy um, for me. I mean, what did he, how many bases did he steal last year? He stole 12 bases and 116 plate appearances. So one stolen base every 10 plate appearances is is pretty yeah. ridiculously good. So, yeah, I, I, I really like Quinn. If, if you're really tough on stolen bases, especially in like a D.C., you know, adding him and being able to kind of move him in when, when you can, I think is great. Yeah, no, I, I like it quite a bit. Uh, Craig Schumann asks us, is Jared Walsh legit? What's a realistic full season projection? I know we talked about him on the first base pod. Um, he's going around pick 177 right now. Should get every day at bats for now. I think he's good. You know, 20 to 25 homers probably maybe runs hotter than that. But, uh, you know, he ran really, really well last year. So I, I'd leave a little bit of, a little bit of, uh, you know, trepidation there. What's your thoughts on Walsh again? Yeah, he's super interesting to me. Um, the guy we saw in 108 plate appearances in 2020 was no nothing like the guy that we'd seen before. Um, I mean, obviously the home run per fly ball rate is going to come down. Um, but, you know, the contact rate was way up you know, close to an 80%, a 70, 79.2% contact rate, which is an awesome contact rate, um, well above league average. 
you know, the O swing was okay. You know, a little bit reminiscent. His run uh, was kind of similar to like a Matt Olson, you know, type run that he had towards the end of the season. Although Olson's was for a longer period of time. Um, but you know, there's always the platoon concerns with, with the lefty there. So I haven't been drafting him. I think there's too many questions. Like there's too many risks there, but super interesting what he was able to do towards the end of last season. I mean, yeah, 11 barrels and 108, um, plate appearances, you know, max exit Vila was solid one uh, close to 113. So I think a lot of things to like, but where he's going in drafts right now, I just can't can't buy into that small sample size and and work with that, especially worrying about him being platooned. Yeah, no, that that that's the biggest question. Like the guy's good, he's legit, but playing time, small sample, what do we get there? Like Christian Walker after him, I'd go for um Trey Boo's even interesting there, Roddy Telez later. There's some other options at first base I'd be targeting over Mr. Walsh. Uh, Dave Petroziello, our buddy, asks, I like Santander to possibly put up Conforto-like numbers, not Conforto's Babbitt inflated 2020, of course. While going 90 picks later, what do you guys think? I think he's dead on with that. If you look at steamer projections, Santander slightly higher average, a couple fewer homers and steals, very similar overall thoughts by steamer, and I think that's pretty fair, actually. So I think it's a very good comp, and you get them a lot later. So I, I like that quite a bit. What about you? Um, yeah, I think that's a good comp. Like just looking at the projections, Santander's like a $14 player and Conforto's like a $16 player. So, and then like you mentioned, one is a really big value going where they are at ADP. And then one is a little bit of a non-value um, going where they are at ADP. So just, I'd rather have Santander going where he's going for sure. But I, I think it's a good call. And, and I think the batting average, you know, which is definitely going to be better for Santander. Yep. Uh, Craig Schumann has another question for us, outfield-related. Who do you guys like the most of JBJ, Jason Hayward, and Avatil Garcia? For me, it's JBJ, just the caveats of where's he going to play. But if he's got an everyday job, I'm a believer in what he brings to the table. So I'm taking JBJ. What about you? Um, I would go with Avisail Garcia. Um, I think that, you know, another one guy where – Last year he was going around pick 180, you know, and and he had a rough season, but everything's there to be a good player. And I don't think he just lost his the quality of the batted ball that he could make like last year. I just don't think that that happened. So I think he could be really good. He was hitting leadoff like for a long time for the Brewers, you know, and he plays every day. He should play every day next year as well. So sign me up for Abisail Garcia next year. Power, speed can help with the batting average. Um, I like him a lot. Yep, I still don't hate Avi at all. Um, Dynasty Junkie asks, I remember Manny Margot being a guy Toby analyzed in the early days of the podcast, and it's always been a troublesome profile, but I just can't quit the guy, especially after a strong playoff showing. I also think he'll get a lot of at-bats in 2021. At this price, should I remain in? I love him. I, I talked about him earlier. I think he's a great value at that point, especially – not expected a platoon right now. So I am all aboard a non-platooning Manny Margot where he's getting drafted. Another steals target, Mr. Steve Brun, if you're uh, listening to this later mm-hmm. in the podcast. So I like it a lot as his price tag. What about you, Toby? Yeah, I, I think um, I think at this price tag, it's solid. I mean, the issue with Mar- Margot was always where he was going, I think. I mean, God, there was one year, I think, what was it? It was him and Delino DeShields were like battling for who could get into the top 100, I think. Um, and just a shout out um, to, um, I think it's Slash My Peep Line, right? Um, yeah. Or 
what is it? Keep my slash line. Keep my slash, <laughs> slash line. my slash my peep line. Oh man. Um, uh, he um, the the first episode I ever did of the podcast was Wilson Contreras and Man- Manny Margot deep dive. So huge shout out um, to that call. I know we chatted about that a little bit on on Twitter. But Margot, I mean the one the one thing that I like about what I'm seeing is the issue with him has always been the batted ball quality. Um, last year, uh, highest uh, exit velo tied for 2018. Um, the max exit velo wasn't quite there, but he did have five barrels last year. Um, 4.1% barrel percentage, you know, but only one home run. So I think there was a lack of luck there in the home runs. Um, and I think that the, the Rays have shown that they will run him. So especially if it looks like he's going to get full-time plate appearances, I mean, sign me up. If he's getting full-time plate appearances, push the man up um, for sure. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen though. And he was weak side of the platoon, but man, he was just accumulating stolen bases like nobody's business um, during the season. I mean, they haven't projected for 18 stolen bases and 425 plate appearances. He stole 12 and 159, you know, last year. So obviously we need to regress that, but I just think, um, I, I think, I think he, I think where he's going right now, he could be a really big, a really big value if he gets a, that full-time plate appearances. MS at SMMS 79 asks Joey Gallo and OBP, Joey Gallo and an OBP league, a love story. That's about the only league you should talk to about Joey Gallo. In. Yeah, totally. And that's one of the things is you just got to like, I mean, the OBP is not even going to be that good at where he's yeah. at, but um, you know, one thing that I like to do, I, I like to use the auction calculator just really quickly on um, fan graphs and you can just kind of run like in, um, in a 15 team league. Let's see, let's just do it right now. I'm just going to do like with generally like the, the regular things in a, um, what I do is I'll do the auction calculator and then I look at what are the differences, you know, that these guys are putting up when they are in an average league versus a, an OBP league. And so let's see, where's, where's Gallo? He's not even on this top. He's not even in the front, not even in the first guys. He's, is he negative? Joey Gallo is going to be negative value in a, or is he DH only? Is he not first? Oh, he's outfield. He's outfield. That's why. That's why, Bubba. This I mean, this always makes for, podcast. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, it's late. I'm, tr- I'm trying to put one and one together. I know it's late and I'm sitting here. So Joey Gallo is an $11, $11 player in an average league. And then you change that over to an OBP league. So $11 to, wait for it, wait for it. Everybody's on the edge of their seat. To an $18 player. $7 right? bump's pretty good. So a $7 bump just based on average to OBP, right? Like that's huge. And $18 for an outfielder, I mean, you're talking, you know, a top 60 guy, something like that. I don't know. I'm always bad at that type of stuff. So, like, your $18, yeah, it's like a sixty around 65th pick. So, Byron Buxton, George Springer, Starling Marte, those are $18 players in an average league. So, that just shows you the type of, of bump you can get. So, definitely Gallo in an OBP league. It's so key in OBP leagues to take advantage of those guys that get those OBP bumps. Cause a lot of times our minds are stuck on the batting average piece of it. And I will say, I didn't mention it for a lot of them, but a lot of the later guys we talked about in the NFPC ADP, some of the guys we really liked are even better in OBPs like Schwarber and company. So mm. keep, keep them in mind. 
line. Totally. Um, Nick at in Biscardi 17. What are your thoughts on Robles? Is he slow Billy Hamilton because of stat cast data or is he premium prospect yet to realize potential? He's not Billy Hamilton. I'm not going to go there. I think that's a little disrespect, but um, I think we, I think the prospect stuff, he was better than he is right now. So I keep holding out hope that he's going to find it. I just think we might've seen like 2019 might be who he is. So, and I'm fine with that. If he's getting drafted where he's getting drafted. So, Better than Billy Hamilton, maybe not the – we're still not waiting on his potential yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, Robles isn't really a rabbit. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, they're – Robles hits 10-plus home runs a year. Like, Hamilton literally hit you, like, one home run a year, yeah. you know? And he just – he was not good at baseball. Um, and so I think those are the, those are the, that's the major difference is that Robles won't. And so I think it's kind of in the middle, you know, it's like, yes, he's a prospect of pedigree and he could still meet that. Like if he goes 20, 30 with a 260 batting average this year, I mean, it's well within, I think what Victor Robles is capable of doing. He's got that very good max exit below, um, as well, but he just doesn't, he can't square it up that well. And I don't know how much of a skill that that is going to be. So I think he's somewhere in between where he's a useful fantasy player right now and he could be really good and he'll have seasons where he's not very good and he'll have seasons where he's better, you know, and it's just going to be kind of what side of the luck was he on that particular year or, you know, maybe, maybe he'll prove us all wrong and, and, and be really good. We'll see. Yep, we'll see. Uh, Richard Sands asks, who do you like for mid-late outfielders and Fantrax best ball between David Dahl, Upton, Chu, Pilar, and Cordero? How would you rank them? So I'm going to rank them Chu, Upton, Dahl, Pilar, Franchi for me. That's where I go, but they're very similar. I'd have Upton way the hell up there. Yeah, I'd probably have him over. I actually took him over Chu in a draft I'm in with Richard right now. I think, oh, really? too, I think he's going too late. I think Chu, okay. if, if he's in the right spot leading off again, in an because a lot of these points leagues are OBP-based, he's tremendous. So uh, that was the angle there, but I, I agree that Upton, he's getting way under uh, underdrafted this year. Yeah. Upton, Upton, I love Upton. I, I love Upton. And I think people are starting to love Upton. I was drafting him in the my first draft. I think I got him around like pick like 380. ADP, something like that, something ridiculous. And now his ADP is in the low 300s. Um, I got sniped, or not sniped, but um, I was going to pick him at like, you know, right around 300 and somebody grabbed him at 285 in the draft I'm in right now. Um, I think Upton could could be huge. That was the other guy I was thinking about for the Trent Grisham, but I don't think Grisham, I don't think he's going to make, he doesn't have the speed that Grisham has, you know, but I think he could provide similar value, certainly. Um, I think he's great. I think he's a really great value. Um, Edwin Turnage asks, how do you like Hunter Renfro in Fenway Park for 2021? I took him in round 23, set the new men in my DC with Toby. Well, he's in the DC with you, so how do you like Hunter Renfro? Um, I don't know how I feel about Hunter Renfro. I mean, it's interesting if they give him full-time plate appearances. The challenge is the batting average. I mean, 231, 248, 216. 156, you know, Steamer hasn't projected for 234. 
So the projection of that type of batting average, you just need to, them to really come through with the, in the home run department, which he most certainly could. And I mean, he's a good defensive outfielder. He won that gold glove. Um, so, I mean, I think it's fine. Like there's certainly upside there for power, but I just think that the batting average floor is really low and it's hard to have a guy like that consistently in your lineup. Um, because then you're eating, you're eating that a lot of plate appearances at that really bad batting average. Um, but like, I can certainly see the the intrigue in having him and, and the Red Sox saying the right things in terms of him being an everyday player for them. So um, I guess we'll soon find out. Yep. Uh, I'm with you. He's intriguing. Like if you do the whole balls hit in Fenway park compared to everywhere else, his home run total goes through the roof. Then again, the fun conversation is how many of those would have hit off the monster. Who knows, but he still would have got a bump. So it's a good ballpark for him. Uh, the platoon is a big question. Batting average is a big question, as you mentioned. So I don't mind him late. Not sure we're taking them that early, but I see the appeal if everything bounces correctly. Uh, Big Friendly Giant asks, of the guys who you discussed in part two or late part one, who has the least amount of job security, either working in a platoon, possible free agent, or prospect ready to be brought up? That's a loaded question. (laughs) It's a very loaded question because that could be a lot of different guys, but uh, is there anybody that stands out to you right away? Because, you know, know, Eddie Rosario, we don't know where he's going to land. That could be somewhat yeah. interesting. I think that's one I mean, that out a little bit. My cat is freaking out right now. By the way, I don't know if you can hear it. Hear the cat. Cat is making an appearance. Jackson is making an appearance on the podcast. Um, you know, we mentioned a little bit with Reyes. I don't know if that will actually be the case. Um, I mean, you're looking for lefties, right? Yeah, for um, platoons. Yeah. I mean, there were some instances where Verdugo, right? He sat against lefties last year, but I think that was more like, I know there are some attitude issues maybe there. Um, uh, I don't know if there's any early guys that I'm super worried about that. Let me just check in on Verdugo. Um, no, he was fine. He's been fine against lefties. So I don't know why they did that. Uh, oh, Dominic Smith. Dominic Smith. Um. Dominic Smith and Brandon Lau, maybe? I think um, – where was the guy I was just looking at? Um, I think I, – I talked about how much he could be an asset with the Yankees, but Clint Frazier is one guy that would concern me because they've been willing to pull the plug on him a few times, and they could end up platooning him, which could be interesting. Yeah. So, uh, big it's a good Jones. question, though. It's a good filter. It's a deep, it's a deep it's question. A, it's Yeah. And he's got another deep question for us that I wouldn't even know where to start off the top of my head without really digging in because most guys we didn't talk to bat eighth or ninth in their lineup. But he says, do you see any batting eighth or ninth um, because that bats are king that, um, that that might end up there that that could struggle with you because that's very important for the outfield. I really don't think we mentioned any guys batting eighth or ninth. No, I mean, one guy that I'm very interested to see where he ends up is Adam Eaton. Yeah. Um, now that he's with the White Sox, you know, should play every day, I think, in that lineup. I mean, if they put him at the top of that lineup, you know, for batting first or second, which is which is a possibility. You know, I wouldn't give him that many plate appearances. But if he were to do that or if he were to start off hot and he could make a huge jump up, you know, I mean, if he's batting at the top of that lineup, like you could talk, he could you could get close to leading the league in runs just from having a decent OBP and getting on, getting on base, you know, in front of those guys. So um, that's the one guy that jumps out to me that I would want to know kind of where he's going to be 
um, in the order. And that will determine a lot of kind of the value that maybe he has, but he's going really late right now um, in drafts, even after the signing. Um, people don't seem to be that into old man Eaton. Um, yeah, you know, that's the one that's jumping out. I mean, Robles obviously like hits towards the back end of the lineup. Yeah, if roster, he were to resource him sixth right now, which would be amazing. Yeah, that would be really nice compared to um, where he was batting. Him batting ninth, ugh, yeah. it was brutal last year. Um, yeah, and then Byron Buxton. I mean, you know, he was batting leadoff, but he's not necessarily an OBP guy. And Polanco was hurt and not playing really well, so that's also something to factor in. Is 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 Buxton going to be back in front at the top of the lineup, or is he going to be further down in the lineup? And then our last question is from Mister Danny at Danny Shuttler. Um, he asked for later picks, so I'm thinking like past 300 or something. Guys, we didn't really talk about who are guys who like really late with stolen base upside. He mentions Talkman, Oliva, Oliveras, Monty Harrison, Mercado, Mullins, Straw. Um, Mercado is one that really stands out for me. I think Andrew Stevenson's interesting to project the lead off for the Nats. That's a another one to keep an eye on there with Washington. You mentioned Roman Quinn earlier. Um, the guys he mentioned are pretty valid. I'm not going to knock those options as well, but. Uh, anybody, I think Tim LaCastro is another one as well. Uh, any later guys that stand out as stolen base had like really late stuff? Um, I think you called it out um, with Mercado. Looks really good. Bader um, is another one. I don't know why people are always sleeping on Kiermaier, you know, but he's going late. Um. Sorry, I was a little distracted there. There's there's music playing, um, in my uh, in in the living room right now. Some a little Christmas Christmas music. So if you saw me going like this in the in the thing, I was trying to signal the podcast is still rolling because I'm giving long winded answers like this. Um, so yeah, I think those are the guys. There's uh, Anthony Alford is one super late that's really interesting in um, draft champions. Um, he's Projected right now to be a starting outfielder for the Pirates. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there so that we can end this, Bubba. It's late. Yeah, it's getting late. It's time to wrap it up. But the awesome questions, as usual, from you guys. You guys kicked butt, and that's really loaded questions. They're kind of tough to not do without giving, like, a massive deep dive into. So something to think about we could do for a future discussion on it. Very tricky. But uh, outfield part two in the books most likely will be heading to the starting pitchers next week so that should always be interesting uh, merry christmas to you as well uh kevin i uh, hope you have a good one and parting thoughts toby as we have christmas coming up on thursday um parting thoughts um i hope everybody has a really nice um really nice holiday for those of you um who celebrate christmas i hope you have a great holiday for those of you who celebrate hanukkah i hope you had a great hanukkah um um, and then New Year's as well. I mean, I think we'll be probably be coming to you guys before that happens. Um, but I really hope you have a nice holiday period. I know it's going to be a different holiday, um, than we usually, um, get, um, you know, but hopefully we're able to maintain some of those traditions that make the day special and, um, spend some time with, with some of our loved ones. So, um, yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, thank you for listening and, and all your thoughtful questions and being a part of our uh, holiday season. Um, we really appreciate all of you. So yep. Merry Christmas. I appreciate it all. If you guys have a, uh, a great holiday season, stay safe out there. 
it's a wild one, as Toby mentioned. It'll be a little different than usual, but uh, stay safe out there. We appreciate you all. Hope you all have a Merry Christmas, and uh, we will be back. We should have an episode before the New Year's to get you to keep the, the ball rolling on your positional previews. But uh, until next time. We never time, rest, Bubba. Yeah, we never we rest. Not. We do not. We're every Mostly fifth because day. because we podcast really late. and we're, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we don't rest. Like I don't know what sleep is these days. It's cool. What is it? Um, what is sleep? That's a whole philosophical question. Um, but um, you can find Toby on Twitter at BatflipCrazy. I am at BDNTrick. And, again, thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next week. Position, outfield position preview part two in the books. See ya. Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.